welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. You have a Bible, we'll be in John chapter 3 for the last time this month. John chapter 3 will be in verses 22 through 30. In the last two weeks, I've preached through the first 21 verses. And because I won't be here to preach it next week, I won't finish the chapter, but this is the finish in the chapter. And um, yes, you heard that. Everybody else left, I'm leaving. There you go. Have that. <laughs> I'll be back. Maybe. But anyway, um, while you're turning there, I do want to acknowledge, I feel like it'd be remiss if we didn't uh, remember Pastor Justin and Lizzie today. There's a church down the road who's voting on him to be pastor, as far as we know. And um, so we're praying that God's will is done one way or the other. And if it's not his will for right now, then we keep plugging along. If it is, then we'll... Um, We've got some confetti cannons in the balcony ready after church. If we find out he got it, they're going to go off, so you'll know. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Not, not for that, but just for random events. I've thought about it. <laughs> Celebrate. Somebody got saved. <laughs> confetti cannons. We do crazier stuff at football games, don't we? Okay. John chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. Would you stand as we honor God's word, believe it's absolute truth, good for our teaching, doctrine, correction, instruction, and righteousness, and I am truly excited that you're here today. Verse 22, after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized and John also was baptizing. This is John the baptizer, John the Baptist. In Anon near Salem, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. And then the apostle John, writing about John the Baptist here, says, I want you to know on the timeline, John was not yet in prison. I think that's funny, because it'd be hard to baptize if he was in prison. But he's trying to draw context to the timelines, just so we know. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, Jesus, to whom thou bearest witness, Jesus, behold, the same Jesus baptizes, and all men come to him. By the way, this is one of my favorite verses for sarcasm in all of Scripture, but I'll get there later. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves, John says to his disciples, bear witness that I said, I said myself, I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. He that has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He, Jesus, 
must increase, and I, John, must decrease. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask you to bless your word today. We read it, we receive it, we preach it, believing that it is God-breathed, perfect. God, we're to read it, to study it, to hear from you, and make application in our life. I pray today we would do just that. We wouldn't just hear, but we would do your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I actually thought long and hard about a title for this, and nothing really wowed me, but I want us to look at this text in light of the subject of Jesus' best man. Jesus' best man. No, Jesus didn't get married, but he is getting married. There will be a marriage supper one day, and the bride of Christ will be there. I plan to be there. I hope you plan to be there as a part of the bride of Christ. This text is an interesting text for several reasons. There's some language used that John uses here at the end that we'll look at maybe in conclusion. But this is immediately after Jesus has this dialogue with Nicodemus that we talked about for the last two weeks. We know the story, we've read it, we've studied it. But for context, we understand that Nicodemus came to Jesus. He was a Jew, a leader of the Jews. Really, the text indicates he was the leader of the Jews. He was the go-to guy. He comes to Jesus, and he's building Jesus up. He really has a question that he doesn't ask. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. This is the answer to your question that you didn't ask. You gotta be born again. You gotta be born of water, and you gotta be born of the Spirit. And then later, we see, like we saw last week, that you can be born again. Because God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So you can be born again. You must be born again. And immediately after this conversation, this takes place. We know that John the Baptist is on the scene. John the Baptist is the second cousin of Jesus, I think. He's at least in the cousin family, right? Everybody understands that. In the South, we always say like first, second, third, fourth, twelfth cousin. But somehow we found out through 23andMe, you're supposed to say it differently. It was like, no, that's my, my fourth cousin. You're like, how do you know that? Well, somewhere they're cousins. So. But this is John's, Jesus is John's second cousin in the South. We know what happens that John's mom is Mary's sister, Mary's cousin. She's pregnant. Mary gets pregnant. John's a little bit ahead of Jesus, right? When Mary tells John's mom that she's going to have a baby, then John the Baptist within her belly leaps with joy. John the Baptist is a special guy. He is what we in the church world call the forerunner to Jesus. He came to prepare the way. He had a special task. 
Now, I like to talk a little bit about John the Baptist, which is different than John the writer, the apostle, so everybody's clear. But he was kind of wild. I, I feel like he looked maybe like he ought to be at a biker bar. <laughs> the indication is he looks rough. And he eats wild honey and locust, right? And he's out in the desert preaching. It's not in this text, but it's in the text, okay? He's a different guy. Now, I like to think of him different because he looks different, he acts different, his message is different, but he had a specific calling in life. He gets overlooked a lot. He baptized Jesus, he baptized some people, he got his head chopped off. That's, we're not gonna talk about that now. Because he preached truth. And he confronted politicians. We shouldn't get involved in politics, though, should we? But maybe if he didn't, he would still have his head, but he didn't. But when we see this text, and we, it's, a good, it's important to understand that this is post-Jesus baptism. John has been baptizing, and there's a period of time where they are co-ministering together. They're ministering at the same time. After this conversation with Nicodemus, John baptizes in one place, most likely where he was baptizing before, but Jesus moves on to the, um, to the country outside of Jerusalem where the Nicodemus conversation had taken place. I hope this makes sense. I hope it brings context to what we see here. I, I read this passage, studied this passage, and all of a sudden these... Um, the idea of twos started to appear. And so my outline is simply this. When we think about Jesus having a best man in John the Baptist, we'll see that a little more at the end, we start to see that there are two ministries. And then as these two ministries proceed, there's more than maybe two, but we see two misunderstandings. And then at the end, John gives two mandates for being the best man to Jesus. And in these two ministries, we see them in verses 22 through 24. We know that they are both baptizing in different places, and John wasn't in prison yet. Now, it's interesting to note that in John chapter 4, we see that Jesus himself never baptized. But it says that Jesus was baptizing. Just for clarity, Jesus' disciples were baptizing. And it's important to understand that when Jesus commissions someone to baptize, they are baptizing in his name. He's on the scene. And this is important to understand that, that it's not John's baptism or John's disciples' baptism or Jesus' disciples' baptism or Pastor Dean's baptism or Pastor ABC's baptism. It's Jesus' baptism. So he's not actively baptizing, but everyone who's being baptized at this point is being baptized, as we say it, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're being baptized in Jesus, buried in his likeness, raised to walk in new life, Romans 6, 4. I think it's important for us to understand that they're ministering at the same time. The, the ministries are overlapping, 
But that overlapping in ministry is what leads to the misunderstandings here in a second. I think it's really important because we're a Baptist church to really quickly, if you'll just bear with me a few minutes, to see something about baptism in this first point of these ministries. Because really the ministry was thought of as the ministry of baptism. We'll see later that the, one of the misunderstandings was the, the ministry, if you will, of purification that they had a question about, the Jews had a question. But it's really the ministries of baptism. And in the ministries of baptism, it's important to understand a couple things about baptism. We understand the message of baptism. When John the Baptist was baptizing, in Matthew chapter 3, we see that his message was repentance. John was preaching in Matthew 3, says he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, or is at hand. When people responded, they responded to the message of baptism, and the message of baptism was repent, turn from your sins. When you turn from your sins, and you make a decision, then we're going to baptize you. And it's going to be a public profession, a public confession that you are believing and accepting the message. John's preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And later we'll see, while he's preaching, Jesus comes on the scene and he basically says, here's the message. Behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, is what he says. So John is baptizing If you believe and receive the message of repentance, that one is coming who I am unworthy to unlatch his sandals. He's coming. You believe it. You receive it. We're going to dunk you. So they're believing and receiving the message of baptism. Matthew 3, 5, and 6, then went out to Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in the Jordan confessing their sins. We don't baptize. Some of y'all, it's already started. You're looking at me like, we know this. This is a Baptist church. We know this. Uh, I hope you do. But there's a lot of Baptist churches don't seem to understand baptism. And I'm not going to be, you know, picking on people today. But if you're a Christian, a Bible-believing Christian, then you ought to know what baptism is. You ought to know why you're baptized. And you ought to know the baptism in and of itself is nothing but getting wet. Y'all remember the old phrase of the former pastor? Several of them. You can be baptized so many times the tadpoles know your social security number. (laughs) Hadn't heard that one in a while, have you? All it does is make you wet. But when you are baptized as a demonstration of your belief, receiving, confession of being uh, born again, repenting of your sins, confessing your sins to salvation, then you're baptized. So there's a message. Now, because you're playing along so well, it's important to understand the method of baptism here. Now, it's not a ton of verses here, but the word itself means to, to dunk, right? It means to die, as if you were to not, not die but die, but it can mean that spiritually. But to die as if die in a cloth, to immerse. And um, it's important to do that. It's important to understand that. But not only the method of immersion, 
baptizo, which in the text here we see in verse 23, John also was baptizing in Anon near uh, to Salem because there was much water there. That's important. I hope you don't miss that. It could have been a mud puddle if you only had to sprinkle. But there was much water there, right? And so um, maybe you get excited because you were immersed and, and good. That's biblical. And if you've been sprinkled, I can fix that. <laughs> right, no. Um, there, there's a lot of conversation sometimes in the church, even in Baptist churches, about whether someone should or should not be baptized if they're truly saved, but they were sprinkled. Well, if that happened, you were probably sprinkled before you were truly saved. Probably, just, just thinking contextually. But um, ultimately, and now I have everybody's attention, like, oh, he's getting into that. I don't want to hear what he's got to say about that. Ultimately, if you're born again, you're going to heaven. But if you're born again and get baptized, you're going to a better place in heaven. No, that's a joke. Don't believe that. No. You can't go to heaven without being baptized. But if you're here and you've been saved, you ought to be baptized. It is a, an act of faith and obedience to God, and it's a, a public demonstration of your testimony to the church, to your family, to the world these days online. Hey, I've been born again. Watch this. Buried in his likeness. Raised to walk in new life. After salvation. All the way under. But really when we think about the method, I want, I want people to understand, maybe we want people to understand not so much the method of immersion, although it is biblical and should be practiced, but the, um, the timing of it. It's, more, it's as important or more important to understand that you're, you, you must be born again to be baptized. We don't ever want to send people to meet God under false pretenses. And so we're very clear about that around here. I'm very clear about that. I mean, I, it's almost like waterboarding when you want to get baptized with me. Because I am going, no pun intended with the water, but I'm going to try my best to make sure we know when we get ready to get up there, you, you're con, you know it's confirmed in your heart you're born again. I don't want anybody standing before God because Dean baptized them and they think they're getting in. And no preacher, no other church ought to be wanting that either. But what's important, what's really important is to understand that you're baptized after salvation. In Acts chapter 8, it's a great demonstration. I believe it's an illustration of the Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Of course, we know the eunuch's there under the providence and sovereignty of God. He's waiting on the queen, most likely. He's reading uh, the scrolls of Isaiah about the Lamb of God. And then Philip, under the uh, leadership of the Holy Spirit, shows up to the eunuch and says, Hey, what you reading? He's like, I'm reading about the Lamb of God. He said, you understand what you're reading? No, I don't. How can I read unless somebody tells me? Well, I'm here to help. And the eunuch's response was, hey, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? This, this is why there's a misunderstanding there, but he, he knew about baptism, didn't really necessarily understand salvation. He's, he's learning. And he says, what prevents me from being baptized? And in Acts chapter 8, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, thou mayest. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then they went and got baptized. So when we think about baptism or these ministries, these, 
Uh, I'm not going to use the word competing, but I'm going to say it just to plant it there. But these ministries taking place at the same time, these overlapping ministries of John's disciples baptizing, Jesus' disciples baptizing, the question arising about baptism, it's important to understand that there was a reason why they were being baptized. There's a reason why we should be baptized, and we need to understand clearly the message and the method of baptism. Second, we see after these ministries kind of collide, I'm using these words strategically, there were some misunderstandings that arose. The first thing we see is in verse 25, there was a misunderstanding concerning purification. In verse 30, 25, then there arose a question be, between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. What's important to understand here is that the Jews knew or had a process of ceremonial purification. And there's some lessons to learn here, but this is not really part of the message. They believed that they must continuously wash themselves to remain pure to serve and please God. Okay? Now, we think about purifying in the, in the sinks and things like that in the tabernacle and the temple, but it, it went far beyond that. There were purification pools. Uh, today, if you go to Israel, uh, you would see purification pools almost at every uh, camp, per se. The Jews had this question. Now, what's interesting, just for note, it doesn't really change the sermon, but contextually, the original text says in verse 25, some of John's disciples and the Jews there's a definite article there in the original text that indicates it was the Jew, which some believe it may be referring to Nicodemus who just had that conversation. I don't know, doesn't, may, may not change your day, but it might. And if you like it, hold on to it. If you don't, throw it out, right? The Jews understood purification, but they had some questions about this baptism. Now, you could go deeper and think theologically they're trying to rationalize between their role of purification and what baptism does, but that really doesn't seem to be the text. The text seems to be as simple as they had a discussion or an argument over whose baptism was better. Which one purified more, John's baptism or Jesus' baptism? See the dilemma. The dilemma is arising. The misunderstanding has begun. Now, I like to mention that Jesus addressed the hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders regarding their ceremonial purification. I, I wish I could scold and, um, let me use a good Jesus word, I wish I could scold people the way Jesus did. Because he did it purely and sinlessly, but very poignantly. Listen in Mark chapter 7. They come up asking Jesus, and you don't have to go, they come up asking Jesus, like, hey, why do your disciples not wash your hands? Which sounds logical, right? Before they eat. But then they go on and they're like, they don't wash their hands. We wash our hands. We do. We wash, 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 wash. And they were referring to their ceremonial 
purification processes. And Jesus says to them, verse 6 and 9, Well, has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, your hypocrisies. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And he said unto them, full well, you reject the commandments of God that you may keep your own traditions. Now, Mark 7, he goes on. But I, I only wish I could respond like that and smile like Jesus did probably. And then experience that scathing Rebuke with joy and patience. I don't know. No, no, you guys are hypocrites. Your prophet Isaiah talked about your hypocrisy and how you would just um, flaunt around how purified you were because you followed these rituals, but yet you reject the commandments of God. Problem today. Misunderstandings today. They're really asking, hey, if I'm going to be a part of this purifying, this baptism stuff, who should I go to? Which one works better? Now, y'all are not nearly appreciating this as much as a pastor appreciates it when he pastors a church. But I enjoyed studying this week. Thinking of situations and ultimately some problems in the American church, in the local church, that this should fix and hopefully by the time it's over and you're still awake, I'll fix it. Misunderstanding concerning purification. The real misunderstanding I think we see in verse 26 is concerning pride. And this is where the problem really gets serious. And I want you to notice, y'all already look bored, but I want you to notice verse 26. And the humor and the Lack of spiritual awareness in verse 26. And they came unto John. These are John's disciples. And said unto him, Rabbi, stop. 30-second timeout. Where'd they ever call John Rabbi? They called Jesus Rabbi. I don't know if John was a rabbi. I never seen, I've never seen his degree on the wall. There's no indication that he's been to rabbinical school, although he might have. But they never called him rabbi. But now they're coming to him and they're saying, some of you are catching on to this. John, rabbi, are you aware, I'm trying to say it like a good Baptist yapper would say, are you aware that he that was with thee beyond the Jordan Y'all see, see how he's using church language to sound spiritual. To whom thou bearest witness, the one that you baptized, the one that you preached about so eloquently and that you lifted up so high. Rabbi, do you realize, everybody catching on now, do you realize that he is also baptizing? Now stop, don't read the rest yet. They got it up there. Don't look at it. Do y'all see this person? Everybody awake? Everybody good? You good? Everybody see this person? Can you, can you get a, um, a courtroom artist to sketch this person? What does she look like? I, that wasn't. What does he look like? There we go. Title nine. What does he look like? Don't look at them. Just imagine what they look like. Is this a problem in church? 
please everybody, I don't know what's going on right now, but please look at me and, and nod. Yes, this is a problem in the church. This is a problem in the American church. If there's ever been a problem in the church, there's a, church, there's a problem like this. Do you realize that the one that you've been building up and praising, he done took a group of people. Now they're baptizing. Here's the best part. I saved the best for last. You've already read it because it's still up there. Oh, there it is. Go. <laughs> now show it. They've already seen it. I love this one. And all men come to him. Did, did somebody preach this this morning before I got here? Because y'all were looking at me like this is the second time you've heard it. <laughs> I don't, same thing. We already heard it. By the way, is anybody in churches that have multiple services, they go to both and hear it twice? I wondered that sometimes. Like, I'm, I don't mind not have got it the first time. Um, everybody's coming to him, John. I knew y'all wouldn't appreciate it as much as I do. Or other pastors. This will end quick, so everybody relax. Hard to say that, and somebody walks out while I'm saying it. But um, by the looks of this, it's going to be at least ten after before this happens. I better get in my seat now. He didn't leave for that reason. I hope. We will see shortly and in quickly that this is not the kind of guy John is to tolerate this. And I know I'm not preaching to a bunch of preachers and pastors, but I'm preaching to people who are part of a church that has a pastor and has preachers. And there's other churches meeting today, and I want to get this out before I go where I'm going. There are other churches meeting today while we're meeting that are preaching from the same Bible and preaching the same gospel, and do believe truth, and preach truth. And there are positive spiritual results from it. And that's a good thing. Okay? John handles this situation the way a good preacher, pastor should. I enjoyed studying, but I've been somewhat convicted and shaped this week. That I could be the kind of leader John would be, John the Baptist. When I'm confronted, everybody, when I'm confronted with someone saying, do you realize? See, that's, that's why y'all just think this is awkward. You gotta talk about this stuff. You can't just let it build up. You gotta talk about it. So lean back on your couch and let's talk. <laughs> and it's not a certain situation. It happens all over. It happens with churches all over, especially in the South, in the old Bible Belt, where we're all good old boys and we all believe the Bible and we just church hop. I'm not talking about that. I'm not here to argue about that. I'm not here to, to whine and bellyache about that. I'm saying a good leader understands that there are other leaders, there are other churches preaching the same gospel, getting spiritual results, and we shouldn't let that person affect us when they come up to us and say, do you realize what's going on down the road? Do you realize 
That person that you, you were talking so good about, they're down there doing the same thing you're doing. And, and they throw in the last lie. And everybody's going there. Everybody's coming to him. Y'all have one situation in your mind. Get it out. It's this way in churches all over. Once again, especially in the South. There's a lot to choose from. My desire, my lesson, and hopefully every other pastor who preaches the gospel and preaches truth learns this lesson to respond like John. You're right. I'm ticked off about it. I'm going to go down there and shut it down. Go down there and tell them they lie. They ain't doing it right. This is how we do it. I promise you if I was in a, in a church full of 500 pastors, I'd be getting a different response right now. <laughs> if I ever get the chance, maybe this will be the message I preach. I don't know. Same thing happened with Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We know this. Hey, 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 they're walking around. Do you realize there are people saying, I'm with Paul, I'm with Apollos. Paul says, you're all carnal. It's God who gives the increase. We just plant, we just water, we just do the job we've been called to do and we trust God to give the increase. That's our job. That's this church's job. That's this pastor's job. That's the pastor of every other Bible-believing evangelical church. Preach the gospel, witness, let God do the, give the increase. Leave it up to him. John's response is this. John's response involves God's saving power and God's servant's position. He understood that it all belonged to God. Verse 27, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except to be given to him. Basically what he's saying is if anything good is happening, God's in it. If they're preaching the gospel and people are responding, then God's in it. That, that man got that from God. Jesus got that from God. He's preaching the message. People are being baptized because it's from God. We must respond like John. Churches must respond like John. When we're confronted with good old-fashioned flattery. We've got to, and we start to see the turn in this text, Our preachers, pastors, and what I'll refer to in a second is Jesus' best men. We have to respond like John. I appreciate you saying those great things about me. I am honored, I am humbled, I appreciate your support. But if something spiritual is happening there, God is the one responsible for it. It's a, there's a problem, and I know y'all don't have this problem. It's just preacher problems. And it's because of flesh, it's because of pride, it's because of selfishness, and it's because of type A personalities and some other disorders <laughs> that fit the criteria for every pastor I've ever met, pretty much. We're all the same. 
We're usually type A. We're usually very competitive. There's the problem, part of it. But we have to regulate it and direct it spiritually. I can't believe in, in, in today's world, if we're just being honest, our phones and our apps and our social media make us aware of everything under the sun. And, and probably one of the detriments of the American church, the local church, this is, I'm going to blame it on social media, but it's ultimately sin as pride as flesh is being able to see how popular everybody else is. Now, don't let me just take all the blame here. Let's, you, you practically filter it out in your own world because we all do it. Or we're all subject to doing it. I can't believe. 82 people like that picture. And she's ugly. <laughs> right? 100,000 people commented on that. It's not even funny. Or a church that has 100,000 viewers, or a video clip that's this, or a pastor that's got the blue check beside his name. What do I got to do to get a blue check by my name? I wish I had a blue check. I wish I was all these other words that I don't really know. It means that I'm official on X, aka Twitter. The social media app that was formerly known as Twitter, now X, Instagram, Facebook, whatever else comes along. I'm not going to say those communist ridden ones that some of you kids are on that your parents ought to take off your phone. Now nah, I've made everybody happy. And I would be a fool to believe or not believe that Satan is happy that he's caused such division in the church. The church. The pastors, pastors, associate pastors, every pastor, churches competing. And the way usually you compete and win is to eliminate the competition. I can dig into that a little bit more, but if y'all look like you're drawing some conclusions that help, I'll stop. And how unfortunate it is to the cause of Christ and how excited Satan must be when another church or another pastor eliminates so-called competition from a church that's preaching the gospel. I'm not talking about exposing false teachers and false preachers. We're called to do it, we ought to do it. I'm talking about the, the church down the road, the church in the other town that, um, the, that's winning people to the Lord, that they're discipling, they're growing, and it's obvious, as John says here, hey, they got it from God. That's what I'm talking about. Because of pride and the pastor's upset because he doesn't have as many likes or as many followers or many church members or a big salary or the same car they've got, that I gotta do something to take them down. And that's happening in the church. John handles it and says, and says it in a way that I need to say it. If it's happening, God's in it. 
But he understands God's saving power, that it's all God anyway. Leave the results to him, trust in God that he's going to take care of it. But he also understood his position. And this is where we all come in. We understand our position. This is not just the message to the pastor. This is a message to every born-again Christian who's called to propagate the gospel, to give the gospel, to witness, to evangelize, that we understand our position he said, you yourselves bear witness. I told you that I'm not the Christ. And we see that in John chapter one where he calls them out and he says, I'm not him. I'm just the, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm the one to say, make straight the way of the Lord. I'm just here to prepare a way for him. John understood his position. Later in John chapter five, Jesus refers to John as a burning, shining light. He was a burning and shining light. And you were willing for a season to rejoice in his life. It, the word there is lamp. It's, it's that John came and he was the lamp to make way for the light. And John understood that. John understood, hey, I'm just the messenger. I'm just here to, to give a little light so that when he comes, you'll see who he is. And John understood that. And that's the lesson, that's the message to every preacher, to every pastor, to every born-again Christian. We are just a lamp. We are just the, the forerunner. We are just clearing away. And John understood that, and he goes on to say in verse 29, he that has the bride is the bridegroom. Now, Israel understands terminology about the bride. It's all in Isaiah. It's all in Jeremiah. They understand that, of course, uh, their land was married, there's some terminology there about Israel being married to God, and they understood this marriage terminology. But of course, we understand it as Christians that, that the church is the bride of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about it. Actually, he's fussing at the church. He says, I would to God you could hear. I wish to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. He understood this marriage relationship between, uh, the, between Jesus and the bride of Christ, the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, where God is telling us as husbands to love our wives, submit ourselves. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands for the as the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Revelation chapter 19, we understand that the church is the bride of Christ. And so Paul, John says here, I am, I understand who I am. Well, I understand who the church is. I understand who Jesus is. The church is the bride and Jesus is the bridegroom. And who am I? Friend of the bridegroom. We would understand that as the best man. Now, today, best men are not very good men. No, they are. They're great. I've never been one. I thought about that, and I was offended. I got hurt this week. Like, I don't think I've ever been asked to be the best man in anybody's wedding. <laughs> and um, I have been to some as a groomsman and seen some people do some pretty dumb stuff, even the best man. But he says, I'm the best man. I am the, the friend of the bridegroom. And we understand that in Jesus' day, please, I hope we understand this, the best man had a little different job than the best man today. I, I remember being at a wedding. I can call the guy's name. We were in Virginia. That's a lie. They live in Virginia now. They, they were in, it was in St. Louis, outside of Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri. And the best man uh, somehow called everybody on the phone, everybody that was in line during the ceremony. 
And they thought it was funny. I thought you should be fired. But I've seen other things happen. John understood that he was the best man. In Jesus' day, the friends or the best men of the bridegroom, they were the means of communication between the bride and groom before they were united in marriage. It was the duty of these friends to remove and to, re to find, remove all hindrances to a speedy marriage. They were to make arrangements. They were to make the plan so that everything went smoothly on the wedding day. John understood that his role as the forerunner, the best man of Jesus, was to make the arrangements for people to meet Jesus for the bride to marry the groom. That's our role. If you've missed this, you missed everything. That's not just the role of the pastor. It's the role of the believer to be the friend of the bridegroom, to be the best men, to be the ones who clear every and all hurdle to make sure that the bride meets the groom. We're to prepare the way. John understood that. So we see his last points, the two mandates. In order for this to happen, he must increase and I must decrease. The Savior must increase and the servant must decrease. John understood that. John didn't know that in just a few chapters he'd be headless. But John knew his job had been completed. Everything we do here for our community, don't miss this, this is the practicality of it, ought to be setting up the meeting, preparing people to meet Jesus. I take that seriously. I even said that recently. And I'm going to say it again, knowing that I said it recently. In just a couple weeks, I'll say we'll be celebrating, but we've already started celebrating. God in the flesh. That's Christmas. And I think that's just all right to already start, just in case you care. Somebody was talking about it the other day and said, well, it's just odd to be having Thanksgiving with your Christmas tree up. I said, well, it just reminds you to be thankful for Jesus. You know, a pagan tree. No, I'm just kidding. Stop that. I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll stop. <laughs> I got an amen out of it. There we go. Court reporter. Um, erase that amen. Amen. No, we've got a lot going on. And I've said this before, and you might like it, you might not. And I'm, not I'm not a person nor a pastor that believes we ought to do something just for the sake of doing it. We don't just keep doing things because we've always done things. We do things with a purpose in mind. And some things we continue doing because the purpose takes place and is effective. And we've already made plans, and we've already raised money for toy share that's going to happen just a couple weeks, and there'll be hundreds of children and more hundreds of parents that come on this property. And our, our job is to prepare the way for them to meet Jesus, to be the best man, 
which means there's some preparation, which means there's some planning, which means there's some hour-long meetings where you talk about things that seem like this is not the point, but yet it is the point because you're clearing all hurdles. That's the way I look at it, to make sure this is done so that when people come in, they don't remember, um, man, that was a disaster. I couldn't get in, I couldn't get out. I don't know that when they leave, and, and this is a goal, this is, a, this is a, an issue, that they don't just leave excited about some presents, but they leave knowing that they met Jesus. Amen. And I'm gonna tell you, that, that's, a, that's a struggle and that's a conviction to every pastor who's honest enough to, to admit it. Because we're flesh, and because we're sinners, and because we've got egos, and because we've, we're selfish as humans. One of the challenges of the pastor, and I'm just letting you see my heart, is that people don't talk about Central Baptist Church and say, man, they got a great pastor. Who wouldn't want to hear that? And you would want them to say that about your pastor unless you hate me. And we probably already know that and don't care what they say when you tell anybody, but forget that. Nobody hates me, everybody loves me. Anyway, who wouldn't want to hear that? But the struggle is that the pastor, me, and the pastor wants to know that the testimony of the church around town is that you can meet Jesus there. And I don't mean that just preachy. I didn't even write that. I don't want that. I'm serious. That's a struggle. You want people to come to church. You want them to fill the pews. You want them to respond. But you don't want them deep down in your spiritual life. You don't want it to be because they were attracted to a personality. But they were attracted to the person of Jesus Christ. You want to talk about for the next 20 minutes, if you want to, what's wrong with a lot of churches in America? People are following personalities. They're not following the person of Jesus. I don't mean that and taking names and go call somebody and tell them I said that. No, I mean in America, in the local church. We have shows, we got pastors don't look like pastors, don't act like pastors, don't talk like pastors, don't preach like pastors, and people love him. And they'll show up and see what he's gonna wear next Sunday. That's so silly, but it's true. What are we going to have on the stage next week? And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to have a problem with object lessons. I'm a good object lesson guy. But when they leave, and when you leave today, will, will it be evident that Jesus was preached, he was introduced to you and anybody who came, and when they leave, yeah, they might talk about something silly, but do they know they were introduced to Jesus? And when we come back, will we come back because we know Jesus is going to be there and he's going to be lifted up. Jesus himself said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. And John said, hey, I got to, I understand, I got to fade away so that he can increase. I'm not retiring anytime soon. I'm not old enough nor wealthy enough. If anybody wants to change the second part, I can retire sooner. But other than that, that's one way to get me out of here. No. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm being transparent and honest with you. My wife can amen this for the first time in church. She'll amen under her breath. 
when my day comes to move away from pastor in the church. And I've already, I've already started implementing things in my life and in the life of this church. You may or may not understand it or care. To where this church is never built on a personality of me. That the church continues. That the church remains. I don't, this might, this might blow your mind. I, I don't know. It's over with. Everybody relax. Take a breath. And I mean this. None of this is in my notes. I didn't plan on saying this, but maybe it's worthwhile. When I'm no longer pastoring a church or pastoring this church, which will be a day that will come. I'm just going to break the news to you. It's going to come. I'm not doing this forever. If I make it to 80 and I still got a mind and I can stand up and hear, I mean this as much as I'm standing here leaning on the Bible. I want to be known and remembered this first and foremost as a husband and a dad that loved his family, loved his kids above being a pastor of a church. I hope you appreciate and understand that. I, I am proud and humbled at the same time to be the pastor of Central Baptist Church. But that's not my priority. It's my calling, but my calling first and foremost is to be a dad and a husband and a family man. With that being said, if I pastor this church for five years, which I have, or 15 years, which I might, if I'm done and all people remember about 15 years was he was a good pastor, he was crazy, he did good stuff, look what he did, blah, 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 I will have failed. Now, people may say some things happen, but if spiritual people can say, while he was there, Jesus was lifted up and people came to him, people grew closer to him, then I can decrease in the background and be dad, be grandpa, be Farmer Bill, all the other things I want to do, truck driver. And people will forget about me. And here's the challenge. I got to be able to sit back and say, that's all right. It wasn't about me anyway. I'm serious. I got to be able to do that. We've got to be able to do that. We've got to be able to get to the place where, hey, I'm just here as a lamp for Jesus. And when he's done with me, he gets the glory. John understood that. And that helped John out. And I know I'm not preaching to pastors today, but it'll help a lot of pastors out to understand to have the mindset of John the Baptist. We're here to point people to Jesus. And when they meet him, they're so overwhelmed by him, they forget who we are, and we're all right with it. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. We believe it's true. God, I know if it's helped anybody, it's helped me. And I pray that it'll help any church member who's born again, who preaches, teaches, lives the gospel, for us to understand we're, we're here to set the stage, to eliminate the hurdles, to point people to your son, Jesus.
God, my prayer is for our church to understand that, to own that. In every ministry we have, every outreach we have, that our priority is to point people to Jesus. That this church will be a place to where our testimony is they love Jesus there. They lift Jesus up there. God, in an odd way, I pray if there's a preacher, pastor that watches this or listens to this later, God, that they'll benefit by understanding their position. Yeah, it's a called out, serious position to be a pastor of a church. God, we gotta understand our place. We gotta understand our purpose. And may we do that. Before we sing, if you're here today and you've been introduced to Jesus but you've never responded, Earlier in this text, John said you must be born again. My job has been to lift up Jesus, to prepare people to meet him. And Jesus himself said you must be born again. You can be. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Confess with your mouth that he's Lord, you can be saved. And whoever calls on him can be saved. If that's you today, I'm going to ask you in humility and honesty to call on him. Lord, I know I'm a sinner according to your word. I believe you died for my sin, took my place, made me righteous in your righteousness. Today you confess him as Lord. You can be saved. If you do that today, I'd love to hear from you. One of our staff, tell a friend, tell a family member. We'll pray for you. Church, there's no real response to this, but my prayer and my hope is that you heard the message of our job, of my job. And my job is to lead us to point people to Jesus what we're here for. Would you stand as we sing? Altars are open. Men and women, people praying. If you need to do business with God and come to an altar, you can do that while we sing. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.